I guess, in a, a sermon series uh, of sorts, uh, not really an intentional one, um, but everything is just, sometimes the Sundays come very clearly in chunks of teaching for me, and sometimes they just kind of form one at a time, and sometimes when they form one at a time, they don't really connect to each other, and sometimes they do, that's kind of where we are right now, and uh, let me just kind of recap for you what I'm talking about. Um, we talked the first Sunday in January about um, the pursuit of holiness and how everything in life, everything that we want to see um, for our church and for our individual lives, um, which make up our church, um, everything we want to see happen is all going to fall under the umbrella of pursuing um, holiness. Uh, God said, be holy because I am holy. He basically, basically said, imitate me, be transformed into me, um, love me to the point where you imitate me, and um, everything will fall into place. And so um, in uh, 1 Peter, in our text where we were t- looking at at the time, um, talked about preparing our minds for action, and that action being pursuing holiness and so the next week uh, is before we kicked off our prayer emphasis, and we talked about the 30 days of prayer being um, a way that we, that we do that corporately. Um, last week, we looked at, at Jesus as he was talking about, um, you know, good trees produce good fruit, bad trees produce bad fruit. So there's a consistency uh, there that, that should be the same way in our lives. And he said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And looking at that from the perspective that, um, there are, are external indicators of, of internal condition for us. A lot, oftentimes we can look at our, at our behavior, at our speech, at our, you know, our different actions, I mean, whatever you want to look at it, but things that are on the outside indicate something deeper is wrong on the inside. And so if we're going to pursue holiness, a lot of times it's like, where do you even start? Because my life is messed up. You know, I could, there could start in 50 different places and so last week, I was like, well, maybe, maybe we should start by looking at the, the external indicators of, of deeper problems and asking God to show us, God, show me the things in my speech and in my actions and, and my motives and, and everything that's external, show me where to start and help me to trace those things back to find those core issues. And so that's kind of where we pick up tonight with, with um, okay, so you, let's say you get down to those root issues that... That, and so you know what to deal with. Okay, well, well, what the heck do you do then? And so we're going to attempt to, um, to answer that, but also to look at some things that maybe hinder us once we get to that point. And so um, but let, me, let me give you a few examples of what I'm talking about as far as beginning with the external indicators and working your way back inside just so you can kind of understand what I'm talking about. I wrote down a few examples of, um, that we might see. Um, an external indicator could be, let's say that you're really, really bad with money. And I don't mean like, you know, you lose it or, um, you know, or whatever. I'm talking about like you just spend and spend and spend on stupid things that you don't need, on um, forms of entertainment that are, you're just blowing money, basically. Um, and, and so, so you look at it and you're like, man, I spend a lot of money on iTunes or I spend a lot of money um, going to movies. I spend a lot of money buying clothes I don't need. I don't need another pair of uh, shoes. I don't, things I do not need, but I spend my money there. You know, I play poker seven nights a week and I lose money all the time, but I don't care because whatever. And you're just, so there's all these different ways that, that people are bad with money. And so, like, maybe that's a place God brought you and was like, look, you, like, I've, I've, I have entrusted you with money to, for certain reasons, to meet your needs, to meet the needs of others, not to buy you more shoes, not to fill your closet up, not to bust the sales wide open at the mall. Um, I want to make sure you're taken care of, and I want you to take care of other people. 
And so maybe you're, you get to that place and God's like, okay, this is, this is what money is about and this is how you are treating it. That's not, that's not good. And, and so, so maybe that's what, like where God said, this is where you need to start. That's the external indicator that you need to begin with. And so you trace those, those things back, and maybe what you find at the, at the root of that, like maybe, maybe it's a materialism that you never really knew was there, you know? Maybe, maybe you're more driven by possessions and things and brand names and sales and stuff like that than you, than you realized. Maybe the root issue is that you just have a real immature view of money. You know, you don't have a biblical view of money. You have a, a very, maybe you have a worldly view of money, and God wants to, to uh, correct that. Maybe... Maybe he brings you back there and he's like, he's going to start showing you, see, you're, you're trying to buy acceptance from people because your house is the house with the coolest, you know, stuff, the biggest TV, the latest, you know, whatever. Maybe you're trying to buy acceptance by having, you know, the, the latest everything. Um, maybe, you're, maybe you're constantly um, spending money on people, like treating them to lunch and buying them coffee and doing all this kind of stuff, not because you want to serve them, but because you want them to like you, you know. Maybe he brings you to that point. Maybe you're trying to buy security. I mean, it, it, it could be anything. So that's an example of you start with an external thing, and God helps you trace it back to show you where that is rooted. Um, another one, like we talked about with our speech, speaking to other people, maybe talking down to people, maybe talking about people behind their back, maybe making fun of somebody to their face in the group, and be like, oh, I'm just kidding, because you know, that makes everything okay. Um, and so maybe, maybe that's the convicting point. Maybe that's the external thing that God like, really just zeroed in on with you. Um, and so you trace that back, and maybe it revealed, maybe you, maybe you like, crack on somebody to their face or behind their back because you're jealous of them, because you are, are envious. And for some reason, you like tearing them down because that somehow makes you feel better about yourself. Maybe it's those insecurities that are all of a sudden exposed sometimes by the way we talk to each other or about each other. Maybe you just want to just maybe you just want to look good. And maybe knowing the latest failure of someone and being the first one to tell your friends somehow builds your ego up somehow makes you feel like a valuable member of society or something weird like that. So and so like those are the things that maybe that you get traced back down to to the core issues that maybe God reveals. Um, we talk about uh, I mean addictions. That's a pretty that's a lot of time where our mind goes when we talk about um, external indicators that something is bad on on the inside. Um, you look at substance abuse. Maybe maybe you are abusing a substance or maybe you are nearing that point and you are addicted to it or whatever, and maybe you trace that back, and maybe it's, maybe God shows you, you know, you're, you're abusing the substance because you're trying to escape reality. And if ever you watch, like, uh, anybody watch Celebrity Rehab with Dr. Drew? All right? One of, the, one of the best reality shows ever as far as, like, really having some content that will not corrupt your mind and uh, just whatever, make you shake your head, um, because, like, here are these celebrities, and every single one of them, like, he sits down with them, and you watch it, person after person after person. They, they don't abuse alcohol, because they're like, I just really like beer, you know? It tastes so awesome, you know? They're not like, I just, man, I, crack is just like, I love it. It just, I mean, it's just, no, it's never that. And that's what Dr. Drew helps them do, is he helps them trace back to what's going on. And they always talk about family problems, relationships, things that they're trying to escape, trying to keep up with their fame, the pressures of their career. It's always something else that he helps them to, like, to go down and find out. And so maybe if you're abusing a substance, alcohol, drugs, um, it, could, it could go a number of ways about that. Maybe God's trying to show you, look, you're trying to escape, and you found a way that lets you escape for a little while. God's like, I want to deal with that core issue. The core issue will fix the external stuff. If you change the external, you're just going to find another external thing to replace it. Maybe, maybe, maybe some of, of the um, abuse that is out there maybe has to do with um, maybe surfing around the Internet a little too much into places that you don't need to go. And so maybe that's where God br brings you when you begin to think about those external things and you trace back and you, next thing you know, you're like, you realize, like, I completely objectify the opposite sex. 
I have turned them into an object. And I, and I don't know how to stop. You can put all the filters on you want, but that core issue is still there, and it's growing, and, and, and it's a problem. Maybe, maybe, we, maybe you get, maybe the external for you it has to do with eating and body image and all that kind of stuff. And maybe when you trace that back down, God shows you, like, you, you, have, you completely live for the approval of people. You're constantly trying to, like, you want people to compliment you and say, are you losing weight? Or you look good in that or whatever. You're constantly working for the approval of people, even if, you, if it comes down to you abusing your own body to get there. So maybe that's the core issue there. Maybe there are, are some social ex, external things. Maybe God's trying to bring you back and, and, and he's showing you the, the depression that you are in for whatever reason. Maybe the external thing is, is your sense of humor. Maybe God brings, down and, and brings it down to the core issue of the fact that you would rather look cool at any cost than to be involved in appropriate conversations with, with people. You, you would rather go there and make it awkward and get the laugh out of the guys and get the giggles and the elbows and whatever. You'd rather do that and so that they think, oh, you're funny, or oh, that was witty, or that was whatever, and you don't care what it costs you. Maybe it costs you the person that you made the joke at at their expense. Maybe, maybe it ruins an entire night that could be one of pretty healthy fellowship with other people that could be positive in relationships. So, so all right, so enough examples, okay? Y'all okay? All right. Um, enough of that. Uh, and, and, and I could probably sit here forever, and I could, I could go through my, my own life and show you all my external issues and show you um, times, the, the things where God has brought me back and shown me those things, and then some of the things I'm still in process and trying to figure out. But, but, but I, I hope you understand uh, where, where I'm coming from, that there are external things going on, but there are core issues where those things are rooted and where they come from. And so tonight what we're going to talk about is, okay, so let's say you get down and you, you realize that issue. You realize about insecurity or immaturity and different things, all those things I just said. You're like, okay, now what? And it always, it always kind of has the same, um, it, it always looks the same from this point. It always involves humility. It always involves asking God to help that change come about in your life. It always involves um, you playing a role as well. You know, it's this, it's this working in tandem of the Spirit and then our own obedience that, that's always working together. And, and it always involves time, and it, it's almost never easy, but it is absolutely always fruitful. I mean, it always kind of looks the same. And so we could talk, talk about that process, but what I really feel we're supposed to talk about this week and next week are things that, that hinder that process. And as we talk about those hindrances, we, we, we get a glimpse of the process itself as well. And so next week we're going to talk about fear, because I think fear um, paralyzes us. You get down to that core issue and you're absolutely ready to go, but you're terrified of what that looks like. And we're going to talk about that next week. And I know I talked about the Super Bowl next week and all that kind of stuff, and I'm, I'm telling you, some of you need to be here next week specifically because of what we're talking about. And I intentionally tell you what we're talking about next week because I want that to be in your mind. I'm not trying to draw a crowd. I'm not trying to take a stance against football or anything like that. Or it, that's not what, what this is about. Um, God just has us in, in a series of things, and that's where it fell next week. And I know that Super Bowl Sunday night has always been smaller for us, and so we do things a little bit differently, knowing that that's going to happen. Um, but I want you to be aware of that because... For some of you, you're going to have to make a choice, especially knowing the topic that we're going to talk about. So that's, that's it. If I don't see you next week, I'll see you the week after that. Okay. Um, the thing we're going to talk about tonight is the other paralyzing force that I think really holds us down, and that force is guilt. You get down to those places, and you start to unpack some of those things, and a lot of times it involves things that you have been hiding for a long time. It involves things that you would absolutely die if people knew. Things that you have worked and worked and worked to make sure nobody found out or that people think the opposite. 
And it scares you to death to think about having to deal with some of that stuff. But a part of, a part of it is that you feel so bad and you feel like the worst Christian ever and you feel like everybody's going to be ashamed of you and nobody's going to want to talk to you and, I mean, you, whatever. And so we're going to look at some, someone who has been there and he, through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, um, has given us some insight into his experience, but he also writes in a way to, uh, for Israel to be able to take part in this corporately. And so we kind of, we, there's a very personal thing from him and a very corporate teaching um, for everyone. And so we're going to be in Psalm 51 for the next little while, and we're going to look at David. So if you wanted to go ahead and turn there, um, we're going to do that. We're going to just run through the entire psalm. Um, obviously, we've been having some video issues tonight, and so the scriptures may not be up there, which would be one more reason to bring your Bibles with you. Um, psalm 51, um, you may... Uh, you may have written at the top of your Bible that this is a Psalm of David. Um, it talks about Nathan and Bathsheba. Here's basically what, what happened in a, a very, very quick form. David was the king. Um, Bathsheba lived nearby. Her husband was a general in the army. And um, basically, David um, had a liking for Bathsheba. And um, he arranged to see her and um, made sure that, his, that her husband um, was there nearby. To, and it's, it's a great story. You should go read it. Um, basically, Bathsheba gets pregnant. David has her husband killed. Okay? And he completely covers it up. And um, so, so far, he's gotten away with it. And I think that's one thing about the story that makes it so relatable, is that we all have these things in life that um, are totally not who we are, completely against everything we stand for, and we get away with it, and then we work really hard to, to keep it covered up. And so David, I mean, he was the king, and nobody was really going to challenge him, and so that's kind of where he was uh, in this process. And then there's this guy named Nathan, and we all have a Nathan in our lives, sometimes literally, but uh, figuratively as well. Um, Nathan, um, he was a, a prophet, and he got some insight that was going to uh, really rock David's world. So he comes in, and as a prophet, he, you know, definitely had a hearing with David the king, and he tells this story, this allegory, and um, he's like, how would you handle it? And David said, uh, the bad guy in that story um, needs to be in trouble. Nathan says, well, guess what? You're the bad guy. And he basically just reads his mail, tells him everything, exactly what happened. And surely David was like, um, how did you find out? And it was only through the insight of God. So here's David, completely busted. He got this lady pregnant. He had her husband killed, okay? Like, not a real good um, time in his life, obviously. And he's been covering up, he's been hiding it, and now he's busted. And he's forced to deal with that core issue. His externals, or as it showed up in, in lust, and in acting on that lust, and in having, uh, plotting to have someone murdered. Okay? You trace that, that back down, and you, you find um, a heart that, is, uh, that was just really, really hurting for whatever reason. So here he is, he's busted. And he sits down and he writes this psalm, and it's Psalm 51 that we have. And it's a, some of it is him processing it, some of it, it's his prayers, some of it he is teaching. And so we're going to walk through this, um, kind of just a little bit at a time. And the reason why we're going to go through this, I'm just going to kind of stop along the way and point out a few things. When you, we're dealing with guilt, there are a lot of factors that come into it. It's very helpful to have someone like David, a man after God's own heart. God had him in a place of, of power. And yet here he is humbling himself and letting us in. Let's look at the first two verses. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. Alright? We see in these first two verses the, really the starting point for you and I as we deal with these core issues and especially as we deal with the guilt that comes along with it. In view of, of the character of God, He asks for cleansing. God is the starting point. The character of God is the starting point. 
talks about his, his steadfast love, his abundant mercy. See, I think that we get caught up in this lie that God is against us when we mess up and he is for us when we do right. I've talked about before, like the game of school, where if you get the question right, you get to move up a desk. If you get it wrong, you move back a desk. And we kind of, that's kind of where our theology comes from. And see, all these, all these core issues that, that it boils down to, every single one of us, if we were to, to write down the external issue and the core issue, every one of those core issues would basically come down to the same, same two things. All right? Every one of those things comes down to a self-centered life, built on lies instead of a God-centered life that's built on truth. See, every single one of those core issues is because we've exalted ourselves. We've done whatever made us happy, made us feel good. We did what we want to do. It's that self-centered thinking, whatever serves us the best, and it's built on lies, lies that say that we're not good enough, that God really doesn't love us as much as the Bible says, that, um, that because we've messed up, we're now completely ineffective for the rest of eternity, that we might as well just quit and give up. And so all these lies build this foundation for us to exalt ourselves, and that's what all those core issues come down to. Instead of a life that is centered around God and His character and His nature and who He is, and all that is just built on truth. And so when, when it comes down to dealing with these things, we have to acknowledge like, like those two different ways of thinking. And so here's David beginning this psalm, go, like pleading based on the character of God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. That is the starting point for you. It is the starting point for me. Is the goodness of God and the fact that he is for you. Even, even when we slap him in the face with our actions and we completely disgrace him, he wants us to change and to grow. That is the starting point. It always will be. Look at verse 3 and 4. For I, I know my transgressions and my sin is before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. All right, verse, verse 3 and 4 pretty much tells us what the next step is. All right, you start off completely based on the character of God. You own up to what you did. You own up to the issues that you have. This is basically confession. And confession isn't because isn't our way of like informing God of something he doesn't already know. You know, like you want to like confess, you know, like God, I deal with lust. And he's like, whoa, what? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Moses, check this out. He's, that's not how it works. He's not caught off guard. Confession has, it is not, that's not the, the point of it. There's something cathartic about it for us. It has this way of like when we confess it to him, we're acknowledging the wrong that has happened. We have, we're acknowledging and saying, I know this was wrong. And instead of just assuming that he knows that we know it's wrong, it's when we, like, we verbalize that. We communicate that to him somehow. And so David is owning up to, to his sin. I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. That's what we have to do. And it sounds easy, but sometimes that's a really difficult thing. Nobody likes to admit that we were wrong, that we messed up. We have such this like, trend of false humility in the church where we're like, oh, no, I'm the worst of these all, and you know, whatever. And it's just, it's, that's not humility. Real humility says, you know what, I, 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 I messed up. I struggle with this. That's real humility. And so we own up to our sin and we say, yes, I've messed up. And he, and he goes, against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Acknowledging the fact that while your sin may, it may affect other people, the sin was against God. It impacts horizontally, but the real offense is completely vertical. And because of who God is, God has every right to react in a way that is not favorable to us. 
against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. We're basically saying, like, look, I have offended you, and because of who you are, you have every right to carry out judgment on me. Acknowledgement of that. There's something about it connects us to God in, in a way that is just unbelievable. If you have ever confessed something to someone else, you've experienced that weird bond that you will always have with that person. That is a way that we abide, is by confessing to God. Look at the next verse. Verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. All right, basically saying this, this has been an issue since, um, since I was conceived, that sin was passed into my body, and so this is, is something that has always been there, and it is something that we're going to fight. Look at verse 6. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. God delights in truth in our inward beings, teaches us wisdom. Do you ever doubt that God wants you to come out of that hiding and that guilt? Remember that verse? The lies that have become, like, we believed them to the point where we, now they're like this new truth that we formed. God wants to replace those lies with his truth. If you ever doubt that he's on your side to, to that degree, to the point where he wants to, to get down to that core issue and take that weird belief that has become true for you and take that lie and replace it with his truth, remember that verse. Because we have a real, like a real enemy. The devil wants us to believe lies. He's, that's his, his job. That is his name. He's the father of lies. And so, and I'm not trying to be all weird and like blame the devil for everything because I think there's lots of stuff that's our fault that we blame it on him because he's scapegoat and he's the father of lies. So, real convenient. Um, but like he wants us to believe that, those lies. We have another enemy of our flesh that wants us to be happy and to do what we want to do. And so that's, that's where that, that self-centered mindset built on a foundation of lies comes from. And God wants to destroy that. God, that, is, that is a part of God's will for your life and for my life, is to destroy those things. Not to just like work on them and and no, he wants to destroy them, like to obliterate them in our lives. And we can't doubt that. This process of, of dealing with this stuff involves so much faith. So much faith. Let's look at the next deal. Verse 7. This is one of, this is, wow, okay. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me. And I shall be whiter than snow. Hyssop was, uh, it was this like branch kind of deal that was used in, in cleansing ceremonies um, in the Old Testament. And so that was connected with cleansing. But look at, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Remember when it snowed? Remember the last time it snowed? Anybody remember that? Okay. Been a while. Um, remember how incredibly blinding it was? Like I always forget how like ridiculously bright snow is, and especially Baton Rouge snow, where it snowed for a while and then like the sun kind of came out a little bit, and so like you you could just like doing this everywhere you went, like you just couldn't really see all that well. And it's like it's why when you go snow skiing, you have to wear not only goggles but they're kind of shaded because it's so just bright. And the and the whitest Hanes t-shirt you have is like nasty and like beige. If you go out and lay it on that snow, by comparison. Now, the thing about verse 7 is, is this. Listen to the confidence. Listen to this. The confidence in the cleansing power of God that is present in this verse. You wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Do you have that kind of confidence in the power of God to cleanse you? See, I think, I think a lot of us, we want to, and we would, like, we would say that we do, 
But the fact that we hide in our guilt and our shame proves that we may not be as confident as we like to say. David is saying, if you wash me, I will be whiter than snow. That's the kind of confidence that we need to have. And say, look, regardless of how I feel, I may not feel as white as snow, but that's reality because of who he is and what he has done. And especially, I mean, this is on the other side of Jesus. On this side of Jesus, we, don't ha- we wouldn't say, wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. We would say, you have washed me and your washing makes me white as snow. I am as white as snow. Sounds so weird to say. But I want to be to the point where like, guilt is not paralyzing to me. Because I'm like, look, those, the, I'm, those thoughts are not going to take me captive. I was, yeah, I'm, I'm guilty, but I mean, Jesus has made me white as snow. Wash me, and I will be as white as snow. Look at verse 8. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you've broken rejoice. Look, joy, gladness, rejoicing... You do not experience those things when you're hiding, do you? You don't. Joy, gladness, rejoicing, not in the dark. Not when you're hiding. Not when you're working overtime to make sure people don't know this about you. Darkness is full of sadness. It's full of quiet. There's no joy. There's no love. It's terrible. And we've all been there. And many of us are there now in some area of life. David knows the contrast. Wash me and I'll be white as snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you've broken rejoice. He's like, I want that again. Look at 9. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. He's saying, look, I want, let's put this, put this back out of your sight and out of my sight. Let's, let's deal with this and let's put it behind us forever. And I know that we would all like to like, have that like, you know, men in black like, flash thing where we just like, completely forget everything that happened and we just move on like another never happened. But let's face it, we drag those memories through life. Memories are not bad. Scars are good. But what he's saying here is like, look, I don't want this to be held against me anymore. Let's blot it out. Let's put it out of the sight of God. And as New Testament believers, the the things in life that we have done where we have messed up, those are not held against us anymore. Separated from the east, like the east is from the west, it is not, it's not that God doesn't remember them. It's that God doesn't hold them against us. We are no longer charged with those things. Isn't that where you want to be? Isn't that, isn't that the way that you want to live? I've been like, yeah, I did this. I messed up. And because God is awesome, um, it is not held against me anymore. And that is a scar that I have and one that I can can use as a part of my story and as a way to show the grace and the goodness of the God that I serve. And I I can hopefully help people avoid the the pain that I've experienced, but that is not held against me. I will not stand before God one day and he will point his finger at me and say, you did this and you've not paid the price yet. He will look at you and say, someone paid the price for you. And his name is Jesus and he's right there. Go hug him. Look at, look at 10 and 11 and 12. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Beautiful verses. Create in me a clean heart. Okay, again, Old Testament, New Testament, God has created that clean heart in us. David knew the problem. 
He's like, oh, I'm dealing with a heart issue. Now, on this side of the cross, we have, we have new hearts because God has given them to us. And so our prayer is, thank you for my clean heart. And then we pray for that same renewal. Renew that spirit. When he says, cast me not out of your presence, um, God has, would have every right based on our offense to tell us just to take a hike. But he doesn't. And you know what? One of the things about guilt that, that really hurts is that we tend to feel like God has abandoned us. Maybe not altogether. Maybe when it comes to that, this one thing. You know, there's like this one issue and you've been, been hiding it for so long and, and you feel like God is like totally taking care of you and totally loving you except for this one little thing over here. But regardless of our feeling, you know, our, our feelings are awesome, but they tell us absolutely nothing about God. They tell us a lot about each other and a lot about where we are, and they are very useful in certain things, but they do not determine our theology and the way that, that, we, uh, that God relates to us. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Have you ever prayed that prayer? you ever been in that place of just such guilt, and you're like, you know what? I just want to go back. I want to, I want to be in a place that was like the day that I came to know Christ. I want to be bouncing off the walls on the inside again. You know what? You don't experience that in the darkness. You don't experience that when you're hiding. You know what's weird? When you confess and you claim the grace of Christ and you begin to walk out that repentance, all of a sudden, it's like, it's like you're back in that same place. I think he's passing on this experience to his readers and the people who maybe even like literally sang these psalms, um, like that is their cry is like, let's do whatever it takes to get me back to that point. Look at verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Here he is after having worked through all this stuff. And, and I, wonder, I, wonder if, I wonder if he, after he confessed, and after he's worked through this stuff, I wonder if he just worshipped like a maniac. And I don't just mean like singing, hands in the air, like doing cartwheels. Like I'm, I mean like in like every possible way, if he was just constantly responding to everything that, that he possibly could. Because he talks about singing and he talks about that, but he also talks about self-sacrifice and bringing his life before God. And he talks about teaching transgressors and sinners like better. I mean, he, he's responding in ministry. He's responding in like physical and like worship and singing and shouting and stuff like that. He's also responding by bringing his very life. See, repentance shows up like that. And we've been in those places where, where like, you, you ever have, like, a corporate worship time where it feels like you have not connected with God that way in, like, months? And a lot of times if you back up a little timeline, then there's, there was some sort of breakthrough for you there. Maybe without getting this mechanical about it, you went in and did some of these things just in your normal life and processing with God. And some so those breakthroughs, that's where it shows up. Look at the last two verses. This will weird you out. Do good to Zion, verse 18. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Seems kind of weird, right? He's all like personal and all stuff, and then he goes all, all like citywide and sacrifice and stuff like that. See, I think he knew that his personal guilt and shame and not dealing with his issue and, and hiding things had a, an impact on the people around him. My repentance, not as like the pastor, but as like a part of this church, my repentance will impact this church in a positive way. And at the same time, my lack of repentance, my lack of dealing with guilt and shame will affect this body. And yours will too. 
And I think that's maybe a part of why these, these sermon things, I hate the word sermon, but uh, why these like talky things um, are, uh, are coming during the 30 days of prayer. Because um, think about it, if our entire church says, I want to prepare my mind for action and pursue holiness. I want to, like, you show me the issues to work on. And we all work down the core issues. And we all go through this progression of events where based on the, on the goodness and the character of God, we own up to our sin. We claim the cleansing that came with Jesus Christ. And we walk out of that shame and dark place and into a place of grace and goodness and power. And, and we allow him to transform us in those things. And it begins to impact everybody. Think about it. If every single one of us was doing that, this would be the scariest room in the city on Sunday nights. In a good way. And so David gives us this insight as someone who was busted and busted bad. And he humbles himself enough to write out all this stuff. I don't know if he knew at the time that, you know, all these years later, we would be talking about his experience. But he's prophetic when he says that he will teach transgressors about the ways of God and sinners will return to him. Because we are not defined as sinners. We are defined as saints. But as saints, we're involved in sin issues. And I don't know what this has to do with your life. And some of you may be dealing with guilt in one way, and some of you may be dealing with guilt in a whole different way. Maybe you've carried it for a day, maybe a week or month. Maybe you're going on a decade of a hiding. Maybe you're terrified and you cannot wait for me to shut up. I understand. And I'm with you. And so I don't know really where it goes from here because that's between God and you. I like the progression of events in this psalm because I think we can relate to it. Let's, here's, here's what we're going to do what we always do. We're going to have a little time for you to just kind of process it. And we're going to sing a little bit and we're going to be dismissed. But look, this is, this is an important time. I think the most important time on Sundays happens from 5.15 to 5.45 in this room when we pray for what goes on. But I think another important time happens as we respond because it's so easy to hear this stuff and to just push it away. That's not why God brought us here. So I'm going to pray for us and we're going to kind of move into the time of responding and then we will be done. God, we thank you um, for all the things that you have done and the things that you are doing. We know that some of the things going on in our lives, um, you know that they're difficult You know that you know the things we've been hiding and running from and hoping nobody finds out. You know everything. And God, you know where we need to start. You know what the core issues are, and you're the only one who can fix us, who can heal, who can restore, and who can bring that consistency that comes walking obediently with you. We love you, Father, and we need you. And um, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. At a Passion Conference in 2007, Passion Conferences are for college students, and um, his address to them uh, was called uh, Dealing with the Guilt of Sexual Failure for the Glory of Christ. And um, so it definitely had a very specific topic. 
if you can imagine a room of 20,000 college students, probably um, incredibly relevant. I want to read you some from that. I don't want to apply it to just that particular struggle and issue. Um, These things apply across the board to failures. This is what he said, and, and this is as profound as it gets, I think. The tragedy is that Satan uses the guilt of these failures to strip you of every radical dream you've ever had or might have, and in its place give you a happy, safe, secure American life of superficial pleasures until you die in your lakeside rocking chair, wrinkled and useless, leaving a big fat inheritance to your middle-aged children to confirm them in their worldliness. That's the main tragedy. Since I've not come to Atlanta to waste your time or mine, I've come with a passion that you not waste your life. My aim is not mainly to cure you of misconduct. I would love for that to happen. But mainly I want to take out of the devil's hand the weapon that exploits the sin of your life to destroy your valiant dreams and make your whole life a wasted worldly success. You don't want always to be sitting high in your SUV dropping nickels into other people's dreams. But Satan wants that for you. You don't. You want to dream your own dream for the glory of Christ. Satan Satan takes failures and says, see, you're a loser. You may as well not even go to worship. There's no way you're going to make any serious commitment to your, of your life to Jesus Christ. He says, I want to take that weapon out of his hand. I've come here to help you deal with the guilt of that failure so that Satan does not use it to produce another wasted life. Micah chapter 7, 8 and 9 is a picture of of what you say to your enemy when he scoffs at your defeat. Here's what you say. My summary of these words is to call them gutsy guilt. I call it that because the believer admits that he's done wrong and that God is dealing roughly with him. But even in a condition of darkness and discipline, he will not surrender his hold on the truth that God is on his side. It says, listen to these amazing words. Mark them, memorize them, use them. Whenever Satan tempts you to throw away your life on trifles because that's all you're good for. Here's the text. It says, rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. This is Piper again. It says, this is what victory looks like the morning after failure. Meditate on it long and hard when I'm gone. Learn to take your theology and speak like this to the devil or anyone else who tells you that Christ is not capable of using you mightily for his global cause. And he walks through the text again. And just hear me out. The first verse says, Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. And by enemy, we're talking the devil, we're talking flesh, we're talking other people, we're talking whatever. This is his comment. He says, you make merry over my failure? You think you will draw me into your deception? Think again. That's that's guts, especially for us tonight. Because the the things where, where we have messed up, our flesh and the enemy, he rejoices over that. And the guts comes from being able to say to him or to yourself, there's no way, there's no way that you're going to win. The next verse says, when I fall, the next part of the verse, when I fall, I shall rise. Piper says, yes, I've fallen and I hate what I've done. I grieve at the dishonor that I've brought on my king. But hear this, oh my enemy, I will rise. I will rise. Next part of the verse says, when I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Piper says, yes, I'm sitting in darkness. I feel miserable. I feel guilty. I am guilty. Listen to this. But that is not all that is true about me and my God. The same God who makes my darkness 
is a sustaining light to me in this very darkness. He will not forsake me. Let me read that again. The same God who makes my darkness is a sustaining light to me in this very darkness. He will not forsake me. The next verse, part of the verse says, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. Piper says, oh yes, my enemy, this much truth you say, I have sinned. And I am bearing the indignation of the Lord. But that is where your truth stops and my theology begins. He, the very one who is indignant with me, he will plead my cause. You say he's against me and that I have no future with him because of my failure. That is a lie. And you are a liar. My God, whose son's life is my righteousness and whose son's death is my punishment, will execute judgment for me. For me. For me. And not against me. The last part of the verse says, He will bring me out to the light and I shall look upon his vindication. And he closes with this. He says, This misery that I now feel because of my failure, I will bear as long as my dear God ordains. And this I know for sure. As sure as Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is my punishment and my righteousness, God will bring me out to the light. And I will look upon his righteousness, my Lord and my God. I don't know where you are, but if you are hiding, you have every reason to come out. Based on the character of God, to own up to what you've done, to be confident in the cleansing of your life, and to walk out the repentance that is yours as a child of God. That is as much truth as I know what to say at this point. So in this time, talk to the Lord. We're going to sing a little bit in a second. Let's see what he has for you and for me.